the New South Wales Country Hour with Michael Condon on ABC Radio New South Wales. Hello again and welcome to the show. Coming up, we hear about months of heavy rain. They've had a major impact on agricultural operations in eastern Victoria with damage to dairy and horticultural operations. And we head off to a B&S at uh, Wombat, or at least uh, the New Year celebrations there. More on that shortly. But uh, first, let's turn our attention to the weather details and Dylan Bird's at the Bureau. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Michael. How are you? Very well. Now, we're hearing about months of heavy rain and heavy rain over the border and uh, concerns here. Are we going to see more heavy rain here in New South Wales? Look, it looks more like a concern over the border, that's for sure, particularly over southeast Queensland into northern parts. Um, But for us uh, today, just uh, some light drips and drabs over central um, inland and southern inland and then parts of the coast, um, maybe somewhere between uh, maybe two to eight, um, broadly um, over central parts and southern parts, um, and we could see um, higher falls uh, in um, a thunderstorm. But yeah, that's going to be quite patchy. Um, we do have a cloud band over us today, um, and uh, yeah, we're just seeing some um, thunderstorms pop up every now and then uh, from that cloud band. So then into the afternoon, though, it does look like a, a thunderstorm activity could increase over um, plain slopes and um, into the coast and then looks like uh, it's pushing slightly northeast into the afternoon tonight. Right about the weekend though, more rain on the weekend? Yeah, I mean there is a chance um, but it's going to be very hit and miss so it looks like um, the rainfall signal and the thunderstorm signal um, shifts uh, further east and particularly northeast uh, so really um, more or less dry and sunny or um, partly cloudy at times for uh, the inland um, particularly over the plains and further west. Um, but um, on the slopes and further east, particularly in the northeast, looks like we could see anywhere between maybe uh, maybe three or ten millimetres, and uh, into the northern parts of the um, northern rivers, looks like we could get up to ten or fifteen millimetres um, broadly. And then there is a risk that if we do see a severe thunderstorm up there, which is uh, being flagged by the bureau, we could see anywhere between maybe uh, maybe twenty or forty millimetres. But that's going to be very dependent on where you are and where that storm does occur so, um, so a bit hit could, and miss you know could, that's right, could happen hit, might not happen that's right and very hit and miss too and the storms though um for saturday morning for tomorrow morning could um uh, redevelop quite early over the northeast and then could get another wave of storm activity um broadly more broadly over the northeast um in the afternoon and yes yeah, severe storms um likely for those areas and uh, we could see um a few uh, storm warnings pop out Uh, tomorrow and then for today we could see some storm warnings as well but mostly over um, the Hunter mid-north coast um, Illawarra. um, Right so mainly on the east of the state what about the inland? Yeah the inland for today doesn't look like we should see severe thunderstorm um, warnings but you know there's always a chance um, that we've gotten that wrong but it does look like uh, um, today it looks a little bit more suppressed over the um, over the inland area so maybe just an isolated storm or two uh, over the central districts and um, inland districts. Are we going to see a rise in temperatures at all or not really? Yeah, look, it looks like uh, temperatures, generally speaking, um, today over the northern um, interior and throughout the northeast are quite warm, um, looking up, up into the low 30s into the far northwest and um, into the high 30s uh, over the northeast. Um, but there does look like 
there's going to be a slight cooling trend, not really cold, but you know, warm but not hot um, over the southern parts um, for Saturday and Sunday. Just as that trough moves uh, further to the northeast, then we do have a, um, a ridge building from the west uh, directing a bit of more of a southerly airstream over the region. So yeah, looking like temperatures starting to drop um, Saturday, Sunday um, over southern parts and then Sunday more like across the eastern ranges and uh, coastline. And more rain early in the week? Yeah, um, perhaps. We could see on Monday um, a shower or two um, in parts, particularly over um, the northeast again and uh, northern uh, tablelands um, and into the plains as well in the north. But it looks like uh, we could just see um, a very isolated chance of a thunderstorm over uh, the central interior and um, the northern interior as well, um, just as a, a new trough redevelops there. Um, into Tuesday, the signal looks a bit more mixed, um, so the model's really not really lining up quite well just yet, but we could see um, a broader and deeper um, trough develop over inland and southern parts all the way down to the southeast, um, but yet yeah, the rainfall totals are pretty uncertain at this point. So okay, no not, point not, not too much at the moment. Not too much at the moment, only really looking at two to eight mils. So yeah, it doesn't look like on the forecast we have extensive um, um, heavy rainfall, but I will, I guess, just reiterate that on Saturday, if we do see a lot of severe thunderstorm activity, we could get localised heavy rainfall. Dylan, thanks for that. No worries. Have a good one. Dylan Bird at the Bureau there. It's coming up to uh, 20 minutes to one here on the Country Hour in the lunch break in the cricket. Well, this year's kangaroo population survey shows a 20% decline in numbers across New South Wales over the past 12 months. The Environment Department's latest kangaroo quota report estimates that numbers have gone from almost uh, 12 million in 2022 to more than 9.5 million this year. The department says high rainfall and flooding played a uh, part in that drop. Broken Hill reporter Bill Orman spoke to Far West Grazier Lachlan Gall about the report findings. The decline in, in certain areas is reflective of seasonal conditions across far west New South Wales, so it's not a surprise or, or nothing to be alarmed about. Could you sort of explain those conditions for, for those who might not be aware? Seasonal conditions across far west New South Wales are quite variable at the moment. There are areas that are looking quite good and other areas that are very dry. For example, Fowler's Gap's only had 112 millimetres of rain this year, and that's well short of their average annual rainfall of 241.9 millimetres. So the areas that are short of rainfall at the moment are probably going to be seeing less roos in the landscape. Could some of these roos be just heading further east towards uh, areas where they've had more rainfall? Almost certainly roos move around in response to seasonal conditions. For example, here at Langawira, we had a thunderstorm about a month ago over one very small area, and that's absolutely crawling with kangaroos at the moment in response to the bit of green feed that shot up after the rain. Having lived out at Langawira Station north of Broken Hill for a number of years now, I imagine you've seen kangaroo populations fluctuate quite a bit over the years? So I've been out here for more than 50 years and over the journey we've seen times where you're flat out finding a kangaroo and uh, other times, for example, in the lead up to the 1720 drought back in 2016, there was a tremendous number of kangaroos in the landscape. 
And what were your thoughts on how the survey was conducted? Kangaroos are surveyed from the air every year during the winter and if the survey goes over a particular area on a cold, windy, overcast day, it can be practically impossible to to see any kangaroos. So that may skew the numbers for that particular area of the survey downwards. And the other part of the equation is that the aerial survey is not a blanket survey of all of New South Wales. It's only over the areas of New South Wales where the commercial kangaroo harvest is undertaken. And even then, it's only small sections of the entire area. Paris Grazier, Lachlan Gore, reporter Romy Stevens spoke to the president of the Australian Society for Kangaroos, Nikki Satterby, about the latest quota report and what it means for the native animal. The whole report has uh, some very disturbing figures in it, which is not surprising. We've been warning about this for a long time. It's very easy for them to hide these catastrophic declines when you look in these large numbers at a statewide level. But if you actually look at a local level, both red and grey kangaroos, eastern grey kangaroos are at critical densities across most of the state. And these critical densities were defined by the Murray-Darling Commission report in 2004, where they defined that uh, shooting kangaroos at densities of less than five per square kilometre was putting them at significant risk of extinction. This drop has come off the back of a period where numbers went up quite substantially. The department says that flooding is likely playing a part in the drop over the past 12 months. Do you think that's a fair reason? These animals have just been hammered by an industry for profit, for their meat and skin. The fact is they're overestimating their numbers. They're manipulating the data to make it look like the numbers are remaining the same or going up, when in fact the numbers are crashing. Anecdotally, we hear from graziers and farmers across large parts of New South Wales that kangaroo populations continue to boom. What's your response to that? As a rule, farmers are only happy when there's no kangaroos there. Unfortunately, they see them um, as a threat. So they're never going to admit uh, the numbers uh, are low. But we only need to look at this quota report from New South Wales, which is very disturbing. uh, And we're seeing massive catastrophic short and long-term declines across most of these killing zones. Have you seen improvements in the management of kangaroos since the New South Wales inquiry report was released more than two years ago? No, nothing's come across my desk to say that they've changed anything for the better. According to this report, you know, across the most of New South Wales, I think there's a couple of areas where they've suspended the killing because of these disturbing figures. But most of the the zones and most of the regions are just, you know, killing as usual. Nikki Sutterby speaking there to reporter Romy Stevens. She's uh, the president of the Australian Society for Kangaroos. It's 14 to 1. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. 
Bachelor and spinster ballgoers are set to ring in the new year in the tiny Riverina village of Wombat. The BNS circuit for revellers has been cut short in recent years due to insurance woes stopping many balls from actually running. But not Wombat, which has defied the odds and will celebrate its third year on the BNS scene on New Year's Eve. Cara Jeffrey caught up with Wombat BNS ball organiser and country music artist Jade Gibson to find out a little bit more. The original New Year's Eve BNS was always Holbrook, which is down near the border of Victoria and New South Wales. But that kind of went under a few years ago. And I've been involved with BNSs as a singer since I was 18. I'm 25 now. I think I've done about 26 BNS balls since I turned 18. So I kind of got used to the way they were run and understood the importance of them in communities as much as they are, you know, a bit of a laughing stock, you know, a bit of a place for people to get a little bit wild, let their hair down. They are actually really important for communities as well. And um, I kind of created a bit of a relationship with a publican and we kind of wanted to dip our foot in the water of trying to start up a new BNS. And what we did was we started off with a little event at a pub called Beehive, which is just near Gundagai. The publican there... He actually bought a pub in Wombat, which is a tiny little speck of a town near Young in New South Wales. And then we did our first official BNS ball back in 2021. And we've been lucky enough because um, he is a publican, he was able to get a liquor license that way. And we also are really lucky, obviously, Wombat's a very small town, um, we're able to run the ball at a smaller number, so we don't run balls that are, you know, above a 1,000. We just find that that's when things can get out of control. We like to keep our balls a little bit smaller, around that 600 mark, um, and, and, and then everyone can have a fun time. And that's how we've been really successful in making sure that we run every year. I guess there's a few challenges that you would have had when you started. It was COVID 2021 Mm -hmm. and insurance is such a difficult thing. That's why a lot of balls, BNS balls that were on that circuit that so many people have done for so many years, like Holbrook that you mentioned, have closed down. So how how did you guys manage to get it up and running? Was was it really that link that you had there with the pub that helped get the insurance over the line? Yeah, for sure. It was definitely the liquor licensing that is attached to, you know, publicans and pub owners that really helped us get over the line. And like I said, I think having a smaller number um, and we run our ball in a public reserve, so like a camping reserve, all these factors just make sure that our puzzle piece comes together and that the ball can run. Might give away my age here, but when I was in at uni in the early 2000s, I used to enjoy going to a BNS. Been from to ones up at Nindy Gully and Sandy Hollow in New South Wales, but a lot don't go anymore. So, is the BNS circuit still alive and going well, or is there is there not that many around? And you do get people travelling a long way just to get to the ones that are surviving. I think that they've always been willing to travel, and yes, there are a few less these days. But I'm finding that they're really popular. Um, The last couple that I've done, obviously, Wombat, and um, I did a really big one last year, which is called Kunamu and Gerildery BNS, they have actually been breaking records with their numbers. And I'm seeing so many new young people coming through, you know, kind of the pack with going to their first BNSs. Like we did a post the other night saying, whose first time will it be? And we had people saying, it's going to be my first BNS. So um, it's definitely alive and well, and there's definitely a market for it still. Are the ute shows 
still part of it and food dye, is that still also part of what happens at B&S's? Yes and yes. Um, not all B&S's run the youth show. We're luckily, lucky enough that we do because we have a really passionate community um, and a passionate committee as well about having that youth show. So we run a small youth show at our BNS, we also run like a convoy and we run a day stage as well. So there's games throughout the day. We make it really fun for everyone who's going to be there and we try and pack as much in as we can, yeah, and really send off the, the year in, a, in an awesome way. And entertainment-wise, it's obviously New Year's Eve ball, so there's going to be enter- entertainment long into the night. And Are you performing yourself? Yes, um, I'm obviously, because I help run it, um, I have been the entertainment for the last few years and we also always get another band as well this year um we've actually got a band that's new to the bns scene which is really cool um it's a fella called kush rider out of melbourne he's just started playing some awesome gigs around australia at the moment he just did the texas country music festival and he's played up at dargo um and so he's going to be on it with this with us this year but we've had other bands such as a couple of years ago we had jason owen who's a really big name um and so yeah we we love putting on a great show for everyone and yeah we always have at least two um music, musical acts on the evening i remember going to a bns years ago when morgan evans who is obviously a very big <laughs> name in country music now he was performing at a bns so is that also good for you guys that big things do come from starting out also playing the bns circuit <laughs> oh for sure and i mean even like personally I'm, I'm not a big star like Morgan Evans but um, I really did get my start with country music in the BNS scene as well so I can definitely see how it's a bit of a you know stepping stone into the industry people are known to travel long distances it's often quite a good bragging rights of how far you've traveled to go to a bns so you've been pre-selling the tickets so have you found out yet how far people are coming and how are ticket sales going Ticket sales are going really well for this time of year. Like they're really ticking along because we actually find that um, with our BNSs, people kind of don't decide until like the week before if they're going to go. And even if they're coming from Western Australia or Northern Territory, they'll just jump in their car and drive 16 hours to us. But tickets are growing great. And like I said, we've had all sorts of different people at our ball in previous years. We've had people from Western Australia and Northern Territory and even last year we had a group of about 20 young men who were all deaf which was insane and they just had the best time so we really welcome anyone of obviously 18 plus but besides that we let we're happy for anyone to come you know anywhere they want to come from and um, yeah it's really cool I think we even had some Irish guys a couple of years ago that was Wombat News, New Year's Eve B&S Ball organiser and country music artist Jade Gibson speaking there to Cara Jeffrey. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. Well, it's been a bit of a whirlwind of a year for our farmers with drought, rising interest rates and livestock markets finding a new floor, but uh, they were just some of those occurrences that producers have experienced this year. Marty Lill is a beef, cattle and seed stock producer at Coonabarabran. He told on Dean Slacksmith that 2023 was a demanding year, but uh, one he believes has prepared him and others well for next year. It's been an emotional roller coaster, to be honest. 2023 is, um, I guess we've come off a few 
widespread wet seasons in a row, which which weren't predicted, weren't expected, and we didn't really know what to do with. Um, and so we came out of that, and then we thought, perhaps a lot of us thought, that um, high prices would continue, and we sort of planned things accordingly. And the rug was sort of pulled out from under us, um, not just in, in beef cattle, but certainly in, in lambs. Um, we saw prices crash. We sort of weren't prepared for that, I guess. Um, and then towards the end of the year, El Nino was declared after probably nine months of talking about it going to happen, which, like a lot of these things, the, the discussion beforehand is sometimes worse than the um, the actual event. So it was a bit of bit doomsday casting. Um, a lot of farmers were a bit gun-shy, so they, they tended to offload stock um, and, and manage the situation as they, you know, as they were told. So... Um, there's a bit of fear, a bit of, um, I guess, a preemptive um, action, which is what we want, which is what we've been trained to do. Uh, get in early, make decisions um, according to weather forecasts. Um, and it's, for a lot of people, we've had um, quite a bit of rain um, and the season's completely turned around. So it's, um, we've sort of seen highs and seen the depths of lows and it looks like we're crawling back up, which is a, which is a big relief. It's been a massive year. So how are you feeling heading into this this next year? Probably the best way to describe it would be cautiously confident. There's been a lot of discussion about um, global protein supplies, in particular beef, beef cattle in the US cow market and what it's going to do. Um, A lot of industry talk about how cattle prices will come back up to the, the levels we saw in 2021, 2022. So... That's sort of given us a lot of confidence, but with that confidence comes a fair bit of, um, I guess, anxiety or, or caution because we've seen just how easily and how quickly prices can turn. So we're not going into it um, full, full-heartedly. We're, we're certainly going into 2024 with our eyes open and listening to information that's coming from all different sources. So we're cautious would be probably the best, best word. What are your plans for your property for the next 12 months? So we so we're sort of in an expansion phase, coming off the back of, of a quite a good but very late spring. So um, our feed crops aren't magnificent, but they're sort of getting there. Um, well, if if these isolated storms continue, it, it might set us up for an okay autumn. So we're looking okay. In our particular farm, we sell semen and embryos to international markets. So we've got to deal with what's happening on the global agricultural um, scene. So... Um, that's a bit trickier for us. Argentina, our sort of main main um, destination for our semen embryos, has seen, seen an even worse year than we have. So they're in a, a whole lot of strife as far as um, inflation and their dollar and um, a new president um, being sworn in just recently. So um, that's created a bit of an issue with, with our market. So we've got to find new markets, which is always exciting but expensive. And... We're getting we're getting a lot of early interest from uh, domestic clients um, for breeding females, which is also helps to I guess encourage us and sort of buoy our expectations for how good twenty twenty four is going to be. That's it's fantastic that um you know optimism that you that you have there. How do you remain in such a a good headspace? I guess we don't always remain in such a good headspace. Uh, we, we we try to and it. It's becoming more and more aware that a lot of agriculture is, comes down to attitude and, and how you react to things rather than um, 
the events that occur to you. Like, bad events are always going to happen. Good events are always going to happen. It's just how you deal with it that, um, that changes. So we're not always um, mounting up and down and excited, but we're, we're learning to roll with the seasons. We're only learning to roll with the prices and act accordingly rather than just react to them. Um, and that's, um, that takes a lot of skill, and, and it takes a, a whole group of people. Unfortunately, we're surrounded by family and, and good staff that help us do that. And um, I think it's, it's probably that support network that allow us to, to roll with the, the changes and, and, the, and the different pressures that, that are, are new um, that we haven't seen before. So um, it's certainly an exciting place to be at the moment. Coonabarabran beef cattle producer Marty Lill speaking there to Ondine Slack-Smith. You're listening to The Country Hour. It's one minute to one. Shortly we'll be going back to the cricket. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. You're listening to The Country Hour. On ABC Radio, New South Wales. Months of heavy rain have had a major impact on agricultural operations in eastern Victoria. Agriculture Victoria is gathering the data on the economic impact on the rain and storms that have drenched Gippsland since October. For some of the rain, for some of that, uh, some of those producers, the rain was welcome and provided an irrigation boost after a dry winter. But horticulture and dairy operations have suffered some losses. AgVic uh, State Agency Commander Banjo Patterson says help is available for those who've been affected, including farms hit by those Christmas downpours. We are well aware that the Gippsland region has experienced well below average winter rainfall. Uh, however, then those rainfall events uh, di- certainly had some beneficial effects in filling dams and catchments. Uh, they replenished the soil moisture profiles and gave a much more positive outlook for the upcoming irrigation season. However, there were obviously some negative impacts, if you like, and the initial reports that we've managed to get together uh, certainly would suggest that the horticulture sector in particular has been substantially impacted um, across parts of east and central Gippsland, but also dairy farmers in the McAllister Irrigation District and to a lesser extent around Orbost, uh, as well as some meat and wool producers were impacted. Okay, and do you have an understanding at this stage of the potential economic impact of the floods and the storms? Well, I think what we really were talking about is getting a better understanding of the impact so that we're in a position to offer a better service in terms of advice and assistance to farmers who might be seeking that. The actual numbers aren't that important. It's more about getting a better understanding of the needs of people in those areas. So that's where we're up to at the moment. And uh, following on from that, we now can recommend that if farmers are looking for any agricultural recovery assistance or advice, um, and that probably to a large extent might be some technical support, we do have an agricultural recovery team that's available uh, and people can contact that. Alternatively, some people may well be looking for some financial counselling advice. And if that's the case, they can contact the Rural Financial Counselling Service. So horticulture and dairy, you mentioned there as being the industries most affected by the the floods and the storms. Um, Has there been any impact on supply? 
obviously with horticulture, it does affect uh, supplies of fruit and vegetables, um, particularly veggies in the case of Gippsland. Uh, it will have a temporary impact on those. But of course, the fruit and vegetable market in Australia is very much a national industry and uh, the, the large retailers source their produce from a wide range of places throughout Australia. So it's difficult to actually uh, detail the impacts that uh, any impacts in a particular area might have on the overall market. So we haven't got that information at this stage. And so Gippsland has been experiencing some heavy rain over the past few months, but across Victoria there was really heavy downpours in some parts over the past week. What do we know at this stage about the impact of those floods? Um, that, that's quite correct. Uh, whilst we have been Agriculture Victoria has been concentrating on the floods in Gippsland um, and also a hail event there not that long ago. Uh, more recently, of course, over the Christmas weekend, if you like, there have been extensive rainfall right across Victoria. Um, that That is not only widespread but substantial, well over uh, 100 uh, mils in a number of places. And the main impacts that we've been able to uncover so far have been Impacts basically on unharvested grain and to a lesser extent some legume crops, particularly in the west of the state. And the the overall impact there will be that uh, it possibly will lead to some downgrades in the price of the grain because of um, uh, quality issues. And in some cases, that uh, price downgrade will be quite substantial. The other issue, of course, is that, and once again, uh, because we're talking about impacts on grain, we're largely looking at impacts in the west of the state, more so than, say, Gippsland. Um, but some paddocks are actually too boggy and too wet at the stage for the heavy machinery needed for harvesting to actually access those paddocks. So that means that harvest can will be further delayed. That's Banjo Patterson from Agriculture Victoria speaking there with Fiona Broom. You're listening to the Country Hour in the lunch break in the cricket and we'll be heading back to the cricket shortly. Shortly.